we're saying it's not about you know kind of turning your dog plant-based it's not about you know having this pressure it's about just trying this you know bring it into your dog's life see how your dog likes it if your dog you know rejects the food then you can't force your dog to have that food it's just trying it out and seeing and seeing the benefits of it it's definitely that open heart approach and you know non-judgmental approach that we use with evolution because you know evolution was a space that's very inclusive and i think that's how we want to be welcome back to the plant-based news podcast this week we've prepared you an extra special episode i'm joined here in the studio by entrepreneurs damien clarkson and judy nadell co-founders of vivolution and more recently the pack a brand developing nutritious pet food using plant sources Damien and Judy are veterans when it comes to the plant-based entrepreneurship space. They are co-founders of Vivolution, the world's leading plant-based and cell ag investment marketplace. Since 2016, Vivolution has been the go-to space for aspiring entrepreneurs, emerging startups and investors to come together and share great ideas in supporting plant-powered innovation. Over the years, Vivolution held multiple events, produced podcasts, and most notably organized the annual Vivolution Festival, which attracted a huge amount of visitors from around the world to showcase ideas for a better future. In 2020, Damien and Judy led the pivot of Vivolution into a technology company, turning it into the leading investment marketplace for plant-based innovation. Damien and Judy were early pioneers in the emergence of new wave plant-based communities in the UK. In fact, in 2015, I actually met Klaus, the founder of Plant-Based News, through one of their events. Both Damien and Judy have over the years pioneered immersive events, hosted their own successful plant-based business podcast, and played an active role in helping to use their network and expertise to help fund other entrepreneurship businesses. They are deeply mission-driven and always ones to take on bold challenges in the name of positive change for the planet. They focus on building impact-driven sustainable businesses led them to their biggest challenge to date, transforming the pet food industry with their new venture, The Pack. I'm delighted and excited to welcome my friends Damien and Judy to the episode and welcome again everyone to the PBN podcast. I'm your host Robbie Lockie. If you like this episode, please don't forget to comment, like and share and if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Damien and Judy, welcome to the Plant Based News Podcast. What a pleasure, my friends, to finally sitting down with you and having this conversation. Yeah, it's been a long time in the making. Yeah, I'm really delighted to be here. And yeah, thanks for having us in, Robbie. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so good to see you and sit here and talk about all the goodness. It's, it's the first time since COVID we've actually seen you in the in the real life. Yeah, it's two years. And you're almost. doing you're doing that reverse aging thing. You're looking better and better. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> we have to wait another two years. <laughs> we started Vivolution because we wanted to inspire people. I guess. Like me and Judy both felt that we were seeing the emergence of a person who cared about animals but also cared about the environment, cared about health, was entrepreneurial, wanted to go out and actually do something different to what had been done before. So we, we decided to create Vivolution and make it different and make it focused around education because, you know, there's lots of great other vegan things out there in the world and we thought there was a space for us to make a difference. Before we talk about all the amazing things that you've been doing in recent years, let's go back in time. And I'd love to hear your vegan story. How did you discover this lifestyle and where did it all begin for you? Let's start with you, Judy. So mine was a bit of an interesting journey. I had been vegetarian for like about seven years, but I'd never really connected with it. I didn't have a community. I just didn't see myself as being vegetarian and like kind of trying to connect the dots. It was actually until I met Damien, who veganized me. Um, he saw me as an easy target, started pushing a few like documentaries and books to read. I was like, oh yeah, no, this this looks good, but I love cheese too much. I definitely couldn't give up cheese. Um, and I did Veganuary in 2015. 
again, it took me about eight months before I was like fully like, I am vegan, but I just wanted to make sure that I was doing it for the right reasons and for myself. And then, you know, the more I got involved in the community, the more I did my own research, I mean, I just couldn't go back and it just connected with me and haven't looked back since. And yeah, I mean, Damien loves to kind of gloat that he was the person that veganized me. So I let him have that one. Um, yeah. Amazing. That's, it. That's the only win I've had over the last Yeah, years. exactly. <laughs> I get all the all the rest of the wins. Yeah, uh, my my story is a little bit different. I became really concerned about the climate crisis probably around two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I actually went backpacking, and I think it was the first time I'd seen environmental damage and destruction, sort of um, in the wake of the tsunami that happened in Thailand. I think it was in two thousand six. Mm. Um, the aftermath for that was still there, and it really impacted me. And I came back, and I I just didn't feel. I felt different. I felt like a different person. I felt like my my path was going to be different from from this just a very standard really backpacker kind of experience. And then, um, yeah, and I, I started to get involved in climate activism when I moved to London and I joined an organisation that was at the time quite prominent called Climate Rush. And we um, did sort of a campaign based activism and uh, sort of a lot of arty kind of creative stunts. And uh, uh, I read the 2009 uh, big report on on the climate crisis and something that really jumped out of me was the impact of animal agriculture. And at the time I wasn't a vegetarian or vegan, pretty much no one I knew in this movement was as well. But I started to think, okay, that I need to stop eating meat. And, that, and that I started to come at it from that angle. I'd never been a particularly massive meat eater, but um, yeah, it just, it just started to connect with me. And then over a period actually of a couple of years, and this is sort of 2009, 10, 11, I started to go vegetarian. Um, I was vegetarian for a little while. And then 2013, I went vegan. And I think it was, I think as things started to come out, you know, I had a friend called James, uh, who used to bring around vegan cheese for me, you know, to show me that vegan cheese is the Fagusto cheese could be nice. Mm-hmm. It was just once that I started getting alternatives, you know, to eggs and cheese, I, I started to um, think I can do this. And I went to um, Berlin, I think in 2000 and, 13, I saw how that city had really become a sort of a vegan mecca at the time. And I just thought I'm making excuses now. Like if I feel like I could be vegan when I'm in Berlin, I'm just going to give it a go in London. That was, uh, yeah, nine years ago. And here we are today. So. Mm, amazing. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride. I mean, I met you guys in 2015, I yeah. think it was. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Obviously, we filmed at one of your events called Vegan Futures, and mm-hmm. that was such an eye-opening experience to meet all these different people, creative people, arty people, business people, all passionate about this one thing, this vegan thing. And I had no idea that I was going to get myself into becoming a full-time vegan. You know, I was laughing and joking about being a professional vegan, but you know, that's what we do. Um, and you know, Vegan Futures was one of those kind of linchpin events wasn't it that brought so many people together built so many friendships and kind of really like was a catalyst for the vegan community in london um yeah obviously i owe a debt of gratitude to you both because i met my business partner klaus <laughs> there and i don't think plant-based news would be where it is to be today if the two of us hadn't met and sort of built what it you know built this this platform but tell us a little bit about vegan futures which then became vevolution like where did the idea for that come from i had been vegan for a few years by this point and i'd actually met klaus and uh uh, several other people who we used to meet up and kind of eat fruit and Primrose Hill, yeah, hang out on Primrose <laughs> Hill, and yeah, it, it was a really early kind of, I guess, like new wave of veganism community that was forming, and I was starting to know people like yourself and other people who were entrepreneurial and um, artistic, and me and Jude um, started to think that you know there could be 
there should be a gathering. We should all get to know each other. We knew some really interesting people and Judy had a professional background in events and and we just decided to kind of throw something together really last minute and Judy kind of like helped me with it. And um, it, it was a real catalyst, like you say, like so many people who have gone on to do amazing things were there, like from, you know, Klaus, yourself, Ali Tabrizi, Earthling Ed was there. There's so many people who have gone on to do incredible things in our community were all at this event and I think it, it was a sort of a start of something wasn't it yeah 100% and I think also because I was so new to the vegan community I'd only been vegan like technically I'd been vegan for I guess like 11 months but mm. I'd been outed I guess for like a few months <laughs> and it to me it was like this whole new experience this whole new community and I'd come from a very different background I'd come from like the arts and music world and then the tech world and you know saw this incredible like community of passionate like-minded people and it really inspired me but what I realized is that you know I wanted to bring kind of a bit of you know my kind of previous career and past into this space and the same with Damien and kind of create this inclusive community because I think what was unbelievable and the more events that we went to outside of our own events I loved it but I felt like it was a little bit like an echo chamber in a lot mm. of these events and I was like in order for this to go mainstream because more people need to hear like all these stories and all these amazing people who are creating change we need to create something that is more of an inclusive community and something that people who maybe aren't 100% vegan and because I had just I was so new to it I wanted to create something that felt very like non-judgmental and very open so that people could come and just hear stories feel inspired but maybe didn't feel like they were being judged because they were wearing maybe leather shoes for example you know kind of planting those seeds so that people wanted to get more and more involved in the community hello my name is damien clarkson i'm the founder of fevolution new vegan and conscious living festival taking veganism to the next level in 2016. Hey, i'm judy nazelle and we'll be producing fevolution and we'll bring the festival content to life on the 5th of november we're bringing together the game changers and the vegan and conscious living movement but they have inspirational talks and connection. Speakers and panel guests we've got for you at this year's festival include Brianna Jack Fruitson, The Friendly Activist, Plant-Based News, The Vegan Activist, Timothy Sheaf, Earthling Ed, Phoebe and Jane Frampton, Clara Hermit, and Juliet Chilatli. Hi, my name's Greg Lowe, and uh, I'm really excited about Vevolution coming up. There's going to be talks, meetings, a great community of vegans, so come down and join us. I'm really looking forward to this event this year. It's probably going to be the best event of the year after Vegan Futures and what that did for the community, it brought everyone together, really inspired me to kind of be more active, be more in the community. So if you're looking to really get involved and be more of an activist, then this is the place to be. You're going to be inspired, I guarantee it. We believe that veganism is a wonderful movement and it serves to be showcased in a beautiful space. So what happened at Vevolution? Tell us, explain to the listeners who are all over the world, when you arrived at Vevolution, what was it about and who was there? Yeah, so after Vegan Futures, me and Judy kind of decided we were going to create a new name and a new movement that was going to be about creating positive change in the world and that veganism is a real core part of that. But we didn't just want to talk about go vegan, be vegan, because it's great. That was kind of boring. It was like, okay, we're change makers. We all so happen to be vegan. Um, but, you know, some of us are tackling climate crisis. Some of us are reinventing the food system. Mm. This is kind of what we want to do. And like Judy said, in an open, inclusive way where ideas could be shared. So we, we produced about over 30 events over four years. And, you know, it went from an East London warehouse to uh, probably one of the biggest um, mm. high-profile kind of venues in, in the centre of was London. There Evolution Topics as well, which was great. Evolution Topics. Like, those days were crazy. Like, we would have 200 people on a Tuesday night in, in East London trying to get into hear people talk about the future of food. And, you know, it puts us in a really fortunate position to 
to meet so many incredible people who were you know really inspiring to us as well and mm. I, and we know those events and those that movement really sort of helped bring us all together and uh, sort of facilitate the sharing of information and the acceleration we see of like um especially the kind of entrepreneurial uh, movement here here in the uk yeah i feel like it was such a catalyst for so much change because that's the thing we really attracted a strong entrepreneurial community because it was really like sharing stories of how we're going to fix the problems in our world and most people who do that in some way are entrepreneurial like you know okay they see a problem let's let's create a solution and to think we had you know like jp the founder of all plants speak at our first event and he had like just launched all plants and and well with alex as well treaties and and then like henry and ian at bosch and they had just started kind of bosch and and they were like kind of five, six months in and they were sharing their story of like how you can hack basically Facebook and Instagram to kind of build up a you know following community. And it was really about kind of breaking down the barriers of like what's working for someone that shared this so other people can do it. So we can all, you know, kind of create this movement together and accelerate it. So these are nice pictures, right? These are some of the nice pictures. Do you like these pictures? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Right. Well, these pictures are going to be on the front of our products that are going to supermarkets. Woohoo! So... <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Hey. Right. We've not announced that anywhere ever. No. Nope. Yet. This is coming hopefully early next year. This is going to be Bosch food appearing in shops. Yeah. And the really nice thing about that is we're not going to have to make any of it at all. Mm -hmm. Scalable. <laughs> Scalable. Exactly. That's the point here. That is Nooch, by the way. We are yeah. doing Nooch. Yeah. Should we, are we allowed to say that? This is naughty, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway, well, we'll these are all Bosch products. Right. So that's the cauliflower buffalo wings. That's our Piri Piri Chorizo Bake. Nooch. Burgers, burgers, burgers. Yeah. Healthy food, sustainable packaging coming to shops soon. Boom. Boom. Right. Very exciting. Uh, another Thank thing you. that we've got coming. Oh, and we've got another one. Right. Yay. Okay, shameless plug here. New book coming out soon. But as well as that new book, right, we've also got this uh, digital version of that new book. So we're going to be re releasing the Healthy Vegan Cookbook. You know, it's kind of, we were really inspired by TED. You know, that's where it really came from. We really wanted to create something where we could record, you know, what was happening at the events and then share those stories. We knew that, you know, what we were doing was very location specific being in the UK and London. We wanted to create something that, you know, anywhere in the world, people could hear this and feel inspired and create something in their own pocket of the world. So that was really important. Yeah, and like to this day, there's over 80 talks available on YouTube from these these events. And yeah, they're, they're special, special times. Including really. one from me. <laughs> Yeah, including one yeah. from you, yeah. Tobias Lean Hart, in his book, How to Create a Vegan World, which Gavin mentioned earlier, says, most people eat meat because most people eat meat. May seem like an obvious statement and a bit simplistic, but it is what it is. This is why we exist in a culture, because we all mirror each other. We all want to fit in. We want to be part of a society that feels a uniform. And we don't want to be the odd ones out. It's great, and it, you know, I think it was something that inspired me as well. It was almost like a, you know, a, not a vegan Christmas, but a kind of real main event for the year. Obviously, you know, the event itself was very popular. You know, is there any one event that stood out? Which one was? Which was your sort of favorite? Do you have any personal favorites over the years? I think for me, my favorite was Vivolution Festival 2018 because it was the first time that we really had scaled the event up. And you know, people always looked at us and thought we were a really big team, but it was literally just me and Damien for the majority of the time with an amazing army of volunteers 
managers and you know kind of freelance contractors who were helping us but that was the first time like you know me and Damien always had a really big vision of where we wanted it to go and um, we really didn't have much resources or you know kind of my, much financial aid to help us get there but we always felt passionate about what we were doing and about kind of creating this you know community and creating a home for it as well because I think as much as like having digital communities is amazing I think there's a real power when you have people coming and meeting in person and having real life you know kind of events and having that movement of people is unbelievable and yeah I think 2018 the festival for me was the one which location was that South that Bank. was at the BFI in South yeah, Bank the first yeah. one yeah. yeah I think I think for me that was also the probably the, the highlight because it was the first time we had scaled it and we had done it just with me and you mm. really without that support I, the year following it was slightly bigger but we had a bit more support in terms of finance and the team and I think you know against all odds really we, we pulled that one off and yeah and it, it really it was really exciting and was that we brought people over from America as well and we worked with the guys at Eat Finkin and I think yeah that was a really 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 cool it was amazing do you guys miss it Oh my gosh, yes, I really do. I think that atmosphere at the events was just electric. It sounds really cheesy to say that, but it really was amazing. It's obviously like we were working, so we couldn't enjoy it as like a customer because we had to work and like be running around like crazy people. But there was just this energy in the room. And I feel like so many, you know, friendships, but also business partnerships. And so, you know, so many amazing things came out of those events. Um, yeah, I really miss it. Well, Klaus found his wife, didn't he? Uh, yes, uh, and his business partner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah matchmakers. What's he going to do now? <laughs> um, is there would you ever go back to doing it at some point you know for me and Judy we're always interested in the future always interested in you know how we can you know bring people together and connect people I think that sort of goes into what Evolution has become evolved into yeah you know. do you want to talk a bit about the pivot because obviously the, we've all lived through a two-year pandemic which really killed event uh, businesses didn't it yeah. Um, but you obviously had to, you didn't let the business die. You very cleverly pivoted into something else. So do you yeah. want to explain what happened? We always had a vision to create something global. And with events, they're really hard, they're really hard thing to scale because, you know, there's so many variants in different cities from venues to, you know, culture to, you know, what people want to see. And so we always really struggled to actually deliver the scale we wanted to bring to our vision. You know, we had the vision for it, but we didn't maybe have the financing or the the background, I guess, to scale a big events business. And we've been thinking about, you know, before the pandemic, how can we create global connections and change that we're doing on a sort of local level in the UK? And so we kept coming back to a technology platform and that being a solution that we should we should explore. And this was around the time when we met um, plant-based investor, Mikhail Van Drusen, who's the founder of Capital V and Mikhail, um built and sold several technology companies in, in, in the past. And he was the one of the main investors in the vegetarian butcher and was really influential in helping them go to their exit with Unilever. And we just had an instant connection with this guy and he had shared a vision that we had for, you know, community and creating change. And, and he had the expertise in technology to, you know, match together our, mm. our visions. We shared a similar vision. He had a similar vision for something he wanted to build. And mm-hmm. um, it was sort of serendipitous. He came to... Evolution Festival in in 2019 and so he saw the essence of the community and what we were doing and that side of things and then he was able to sort of work with us and use his expertise to you know create what is now the the Evolution technology platform that we, that we have. Yeah and when you say serendipitous it really was like I was going to go into kind of the whole fate thing but it really we were very lucky you know the fact that we met him just before the world basically kind of went on standstill and so many like you said the events industry and so many startups suffered and we were able to 
already brainstorm ideas kind of with him of like this kind of new evolution which we always wanted to do we just didn't again have the resources and I guess those skills to take us to what we've got now and we were just so fortunate to be able to meet him in 2019 and just already have these kind of conversations and then when COVID came we were able to quickly kind of put those ideas into action. Yeah we had to be really fast because you know we just didn't see it coming we were we were slightly fortunate that one or two people we knew said hey this, is, this could be a real bad thing for your business. And so we had started to think a little bit, but it meant as entrepreneurs, we had to make some really tough decisions. We had to let our team go, who are like amazing, lovely people. We had to, you know, sell a, a percentage of the business, you know, to create this new future. Like mm. it it really was... Um, it's called pivoting, right? So you want to explain to listeners who might not know, who are not, who are not entrepreneurs, business people, mm. what exactly is a pivot and how important is it for a business? It's a really difficult thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's when you change the direction of your your business, you take you take elements of it and you you change and and run a, a go on a new course essentially. So and that, quite a few startups have to do this because you know you can have like great ideas, but until you put something out there into the world and have it and, and show you know, proof that it works, show proof that it works, you just don't know. You can like come up with all these analytics of like cost. You know, this is your customer and this is how much revenue you're going to get. And this is how you're going to get there. But until you do it, you just don't know. And so a lot of companies do have to pivot because they have to analyze the data, analyze you know you know the, their kind of growth and see what's working. And if it's not, then you have to look at okay, how can we make this work better. Um, so it is a common thing, but it's very difficult because ours was like a total pivot. It's like a completely different business Because I imagine model. when you pivot to such a different business, it can potentially be something you don't know enough about. 100%. And it's like jumping off a cliff. <laughs> and if the, unless there's someone there to catch you or a net of some sort, you know, it's, it's quite likely the business might not succeed. Definitely. I think we were lucky in some sense, but we were also informed because mm. through the evolution, we had started doing these pitch events called mm. Pitch and Plant yeah, um, from 2017 amazing. onwards. So we, we had a sense of, we were connected to a lot of the entrepreneurs and businesses trusted us and they trusted me and Judy as people enough to share with us their most valuable information, their financials, their vision for the company. And I think the evolution brand had um, enough gravitas, enough trust that people then were like, okay, if you create this technology platform where you're going to facilitate us fundraising, which essentially is one of the main purposes of the platform. We trust you with our data. And I think if you would have just created um, a Joe Bloggs company, people may not have trusted that business. And I think we just knew we had to do it because our own experience raising money in the early days, we knew there needed to be more connection and facilitation of this. And mm. we really found it difficult, didn't we? Like early on and Yeah, we wanted to make it more accessible. Like me and Damien aren't from the investment world. You know, we haven't come from a banking background. We didn't have investors in our back pocket. You know, we knew of a few other startups in the plant-based space who'd had investment. But again, in the UK and Europe, it was much further behind than say the US. So we didn't really have those contacts. And we were just like, this is crazy because we need to have money in in this community, in this industry in order for us to be able to, you know, accelerate and to make this go mainstream. Um, and so we had, you know, we went through our own entrepreneurial journey of finding it really difficult. Like we need Would to make this Would you say that easier. was your, one of your biggest challenges then? Oh yeah, 100%, 100% definitely. Yeah. And especially the type of company we were because at the time, and still is to a point, like, you know, people are far more interested in say a product business and say like a service kind of, you know, events or media business. It's like not as tangible to some investors and not easy to kind of benchmark and to be able for them to kind of do their assessments and everything. And so for us, it was, really tricky and also I think for you know kind of women founders and founders of color again that's another area where we're like you know we know the statistics just in the general fundraising world not you know just in the plant-based world but then you know you kind of look we were looking anyway at the time of all the kind of 
industry leaders, I guess, within, you know, kind of who are creating startups. And they were, a lot of them were led by white men, which is absolutely fine. It's about creating those opportunities so that everyone can access funding equally and be able to, you know, have the same opportunity. And I think, you know, being a kind of woman founder with Evolution, like I'd gone through similar experiences as sadly some other kind of women founders where some opportunities weren't open to, to me because of, you know, kind of preconceived ideas. And we really just wanted to, you know, get rid of all of those barriers and just, you know, as long as you've got a great business, great business model, good financials, you've got everything there, you should have the same access. So that's really what we wanted to create. It's a real issue for women. Um, I speak a lot to Jenny from Being Women Summit yeah. about the, the challenges women have as entrepreneurs in business. In the UK specifically, less than 2% of investment goes to women founders and CEOs. And, and after the pandemic, I think it halved to like 1.5%, yeah. which is shocking, really. Um, there's a lot of things that need to change. As, as far as your platform goes, like how do you find that you're able to, are you able to level the playing field a bit more? Like how do we make it more accessible, particularly for women? Yeah. Do you want to go? We do this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're we're so polite to each other. We're, me and Judy are married as well as uh, in, in business together. So... <laughs> We'll ask, it, we'll ask it. I'm going to ask about that. That was one of my, my questions okay. about working together as a married couple, um, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I've, I do think Evolution has leveled the playing field. Um, last year was our first full year of operating since the pivot, and we helped over 20 companies uh, raise investment directly from investors. And that's free of charge. You know, if you're a startup, you can go on there and use our platform for free. Just upload your investment round. And, you know, we, we helped fund a lot of uh, women founded businesses, a lot of businesses from people of color as well. And I think this is like really makes our heart sing, you know, because like, like it really was a boys club when we started and it really was closed off. And the, the way venture capitals worked in the past is very much an introduction led approach. It's the, the Silicon Valley approach, you know, you need to be in the know or with someone who, mm. you know, can connect you. Otherwise, you're probably not you don't have the right network. But I think they're out. Is that why you think it's quite hard for women to get in? Because it's all very like boys, you know, men who know men and very yeah. shut off. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also, again, like it's a preconceived idea of, you know, people being concerned about, you know, kind of women and like commitment to work, for example. And I think, and it definitely does come down to the contacts and about how some business deals are done. I think in, in every industry it is quite different. But I do think there's certain deals that will happen and, you know, conversations will happen that, you know, if you're not involved in that kind of, you know, event or that kind of community, or whatever, then you won't be, you won't be invited to it. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've got to be careful about the corporatization of plant-based and veganism because I think it is becoming more professional. You know, there are very big investors circling plant-based businesses, plant-based industry, and the same kind of discriminatory practices that have happened elsewhere could very easily seep into our industry. So it's really important that, you know, uh, people like Plant-Based News, Evolution, Vegan Women's Summit are, are championing this stuff and talking about it very openly because, you know, Judy's had experiences that have been, you know, been held against her for being a woman founder and, and you're not alone, are you? No, 100% not what, alone. What exactly. kind of experiences, if I may ask? Well, I, I won't like name names, sure. but we, we kind of... Experiences with investors. Yeah, like yeah. We, we were, you know, doing around and an investor was very, very interested. And then they went onto my personal social medias, which I really don't use that often. And they basically 
they thought I was I wasn't a good entrepreneur and they thought I was you know kind of airy fairy or something with the way I had it is something that was really outdated in my kind of bio and it's and it is also a lesson to kind of think any entrepreneur to make sure that anything that is public yeah you you sadly have to kind of look at that side but it's also something that's redundant that I haven't used for a very long time so I kind of even forgot it was out there and it was such a small thing but it's something that I was singled out you know because I was the only you know woman founder in our team and it it just felt very it felt very un- unfair and kind of you know that you know it some of my other founders probably could have had the same kind of nitpicking things happen because I wasn't the only one that had say the social media kind of um a personal social media that had something on it and it was just something really stupid with the way I described myself it's something like I said that I'm into compassionate living and to me that is an airy fairy that's something and I'm very proud Sam you know I want to lead my life as a compassionate leader. Like that's what I want to do. I think you can do business and make really good profit and have like a really successful business, but you can still also be a compassionate person. I think there should be professionalism within the vegan movement because we want it to become mainstream. We want, we want know, to be taken seriously. We want to be taken seriously. And in order for that to happen, we need big money to come into this space to fund startups and to be able to scale and to get a certain place. But you also need to be able to, you know, maintain the mission at the core of what you're doing. You're not going to be a mission driven business if you're only, you know, putting profit over kind of you know the planet animals and people like that isn't going to be a balanced thing so it's it's kind of you know sadly there's still like a lot of these people who can't, who are coming into the space who see things like that but luckily we've been able to especially with evolution create something where you know we're finding like-minded investors who are impact driven and you know want to do good business but then also want to do something you know business with a heart i think that's yeah. really important it really is so as far as like moving forward there's a lot of people out there who struggle with with the motivation to become an entrepreneur and earlier Damien asked you and you were like don't do it I mean we obviously joke about that because it is incredibly difficult you know we've been Palm Beach News been running for five years we've had many thrills and spills uh, highs and lows you know it can be really difficult really long long nights 60 hour weeks 70 hour weeks working around the clock you know staff coming and going illnesses all kinds of stuff how do you keep going? Like, what are the things that keep you guys moving forward? Because you've done a lot of stuff in the last five years. You've done and achieved some incredible things, which I'm very proud to say um, I have been at many of them and enjoyed them. And they've really, really inspired me to keep going because obviously that movement itself is very, very challenging. There's a lot of difficult things that have happened, you know, friendships that have come and gone. Uh, people people have got, come and gone with through, through illnesses. Businesses have disappeared because of the pandemic. So it can be very easy just to give up and go, you know what, I'm going to go live in a hill in Bali and grow oranges. <laughs> But you guys have not given up. You're still, you know, this the entrepreneurial spirit is still burning within you. So how, how are you doing it? Like, what is keeping you moving forward? I think it's that the, prob- the you know, there's still so much, you know, problems and issues in the world that need fixing. That's the thing that inspires us. It's the mission. It's about the work is never done. I think that's with any mission-driven company and any, you know, activist or anyone who's getting out of bed and, you know, going against the grain and doing something that is different and is challenging is because... There's so much that needs to be fixed. You know, for us, it's it's for the animals, it's for the planet, and it is, and it's for people. Like, there's so much, and that's a lot to cover. But that kind of keeps us going. We've had so many challenges and so many times where we thought we wish we could do something a bit easier and something that isn't as demanding and challenging, and where we can actually take a holiday because we haven't had a holiday, and that's even without COVID. COVID aside, like you know, just to have some time off. But it is the mission that keeps us. Well, I think keeps me going. Definitely. At our event earlier this year, Foy, who is here somewhere maybe, um, from Plant Curious, he was inspired to start a business, which is the UK's first plant-based delivery box. After hearing JP from 
All Plants talk at one of our events. And, you know, we, we sat down with the um, CEO of Lara, and he has loads of products, this guy. He has the biggest um, organic cereal company in the UK. And he said to us that we were going to use whey protein in our new protein product. But after coming to Feevolution, I'm going to use pea protein. It's changed my thinking on it because I see that's the future. And that's the kind of impact we're starting, to, we're starting to hear from people. And also just like a community of people who know each other. And when we're connected, we're stronger. And when we're stronger, we're able to do more and get more stuff done. So that's, that's been really great for us. And um, so this is like looking to the future, obviously, in this space where people have like created the future. You have to take those knocks and those frills and spills and ups and downs. And ultimately for us, we always ask ourselves, like, you only get one life, right? You only get one opportunity to make change. And what's the point in just being here? You know, I think you need to take on things that are challenging, push you and, you know, hope that you can have the impact you desire. And, you know, looking at what me and Judy have done, we know we've had a lot of impact and have impacted people's lives. And hopefully some people who are listening to this have been, you know, touched by what we're doing. And I just feel like we have to do that. It's our calling. I, I just can't make money for making money's sake. Let's like make money, but let's do it with purpose and let's do it because it, it means something. It means something to do good work and work that helps the planet, work that helps the animals. You know, I think that should be non-negotiable for people going into business, try and, try and do good and you know, I'm proud to say we do that. And yeah, it's really tough sometimes, but we keep going. Very well said. A life uh, with meaning is a life well lived, I believe. So let's move on to your latest venture, which is the pack, which is a, a really exciting uh, product. Do you want to explain a bit more, Judy, how the, the idea came about and uh, where we are at today with the pack? Yeah, so we actually had the idea for the pack quite a few years ago before we even kind of incorporated and launched the company. Um, but we needed to wait for the right time um, to do it. Um, but, you know, because me and Damon were so at the heart of the plant-based and you know, sustainable movement um, with doing with Evolution, we were just constantly inspired by all the founders sharing their story and all the startups that are coming along. And it, we almost created a mini accelerator for us, I feel like. You know, <laughs> we just, you know, over the years just heard all these stories and saw kind of what worked and what didn't and why did some brands do really well and some didn't. And we were always looking at what do we want to do next? Like me and Damon always wanted to do something else. You know, we love Evolution, but we're like, we want to create something else and, you know, have a new challenge and learn some new skills and you know we wanted to create something that had huge impact and it would have been very easy for us to you know I guess create a kind of you know snack product or a drink product but we really wanted to do something that hadn't been really done before and that really you know there was a space that was wide open and we looked at the pet food industry and we were like there just hasn't been the innovation that the human space has had and we looked to America and we saw these incredible brands come about and we were like that just hasn't happened really in the UK and Europe and we were also going through a personal experience of you know getting a dog ourselves and we're passionate vegans and we were like okay what would we feed this dog? And we know there's so many vegans that don't feed their dog a plant-based diet because there just hasn't been the education and also the the products out there for them to feel confident. But we were like, okay, what would we feed our dog? And then the more research we did, the more we found that there were products that were great, but and they, I guess, filled a gap, but they weren't kind of pushing that innovation and pushing the barrier and trying to do what happened in the human space, you know, create something that was like, a, you know, a meat burger, but it was made from plants. And so this is really where kind of the inspiration came. You know, we were like we wanted to create something that was almost the same as you know a kind of a meat dog food but it was made from plants so it was better for the environment and better for the dog's health so that's kind of where it all started because the, uh, the there's obviously a lot of reservation around this topic because mm. the pervading knowledge or the pervading awareness is that dogs are carnivores they got teeth like wolves they look a bit like wolves what a lot of people don't realize is that dogs are not wolves 
dogs are dogs. <laughs> they are canines, but they've lived alongside humans for over 9,000 years, I think that is, nine millennia. Uh, and they've evolved along with us, um, and their diets have evolved, evolved along with us, mainly omnivorous diets. They're opportunistic omnivores, like humans can be, but then mm. also could be herb herbivorous as well, because they can thrive on on a, a plant-based diet, but people still don't want to believe this because obviously, you know, they they compare a dog to a wolf and they mm -hmm. assume that they are the same. So what is so different about a dog and a wolf and why can a dog handle a plant-based diet perfectly fine, whereas a wolf probably necessarily wouldn't? Yeah, like, like you said, um, dogs have evolved from wolves. The enzymes in their stomachs have changed to help them digest starches, plant starches, and um, people feel challenged by this. It's really challenging and that's a good thing you know, because if it's challenging people, it means that I think deep down there's something that is making sense. And, you know, we we look at it in a really kind of long term kind of way, which, you know, <laughs> for a start, you, you tend to live like month to month sometimes. But, you know, we, we do look at it in a long term way. And, you know, we're living in a midst of a climate crisis. We're living in a health crisis for dogs. And, you know, like Judy said earlier, you know, we have the science to make complete balanced food for dogs that is is full of great foods and you know gives them everything they need so you know it's it was a no-brainer for us to do you know dogs are omnivores you know it does mean they can eat meat and that they can also eat plants and they can be like you say herb herbivorous and uh, thrive just purely of plants and this is the new frontier this is like you know being beyond meat in 2011 you know just when the guys are starting out right there's a long way to go because people still think this about human beings mm -hmm. yeah i know right. dogs like we're crazy. We're definitely crazy taking this on, but like it had to be done. You know, you need the crazy people. So has there been <laughs> much crazy com uh, like criticism? Have you had any odd emails or lots uh, of stuff on social media? Well, you know what? Like we actually haven't had too much. We really expected when we launched that we would have just been bombarded with people like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're animal abusers. Like we really expected this. Um, and yes, we have obviously experienced you know, people challenging, but actually the majority of people are really open for discussions. There's only been a handful of people who have been really closed off to it and just like, you are wrong, I am right, that's it. But most people who are like maybe criticizing just don't have the information. And that's where like, we're so excited because of evolution, like what we did with in terms of like building the community, sharing education information, this is what we wanna to bring to the pack. You know, there has been reports and data and science out there, but no one's broken it down into a digestible way. And it's really similar, I see it as the environmental movement, All the stats were there to say the the world isn't you know the planet is in crisis we need to you know sort something out right. and until it was you know broken down into a storytelling relatable mm. way it's only then that people really clicked and wanted to get on board and this is exactly what we're trying to do so the people who are like really like you know kind of know this is wrong i think when we start kind of bringing them into the conversation explaining a bit more they're actually really open-minded to it and actually few people have come around to it so i really think for us it's about doing it again in a non-judgmental way it's not about saying turn your dog vegan or plant-based it's about just bring right. more plants into your dog's bowl we've talked about that because dogs don't go vegan and they're not vegan no, that's exactly. the thing a veganism is a lifestyle to life philosophy that human really only humans can do dogs eat a plant-based diet they're not vegan exactly. and this is where messaging comes in it can be very tricky and we get we come up against this all the time on plant-based news on our content as also myself being asked by entrepreneurs should i say vegan on my products should i say vegan this or plant-based that obviously vegan is more widely uh, known people understand and know less about what plant-based is mm -hmm. or what it even means there's no sort of globally accepted definition of plant-based whereas veganism has a clear definition by the vegan society but 
I think the 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 emotional aspect comes in where people talk about you know dogs being forced to eat and diet that isn't natural but then people say that about their children as well so ultimately it comes from a good place don't they people are just concerned about the well-being of their children other people's children the dogs I think if we can convince people that organisms require nutrients and that if we can get the right nutrients into those organisms and it doesn't matter where it comes from obviously if we're making it by human hands rather than killing an animal but talking about traditional dog food for a sec what is it about traditional dog food that's so bad for dogs and causing huge amounts of cancer? And of course, also, you know, if you put all the dog food together, the, the animal-based dog food, to, just in the U.S. alone, it's like it, the amount of carbon emissions. It's like a small country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is what is it about that type of food that is so terrible? Well, there's such a like broad range of like kind of traditional meat food, I guess. You know, you've got premium brands, and then you've also got you know kind of less premium brands. The way to think about it, and this is like without thinking about raw food, you know, raw meat, is that it's basically meat that's not fit for human consumption. So that basically screams that, okay, if you can't eat it, why should you give that to your pet companion? Like if you can't, you know, digest or eat those bits that aren't fit for you, why why give that to your pet companion? So I think that's like the main thing. It's also, you know, looking at kind of like the antibiotics that are used, for example. And we, you know, are only like touching the surface in the human space looking at that. But it's the same thing in our pet companion, sadly. And you look at it from country to country. America is definitely far worse than, say, the, the UK and Europe. But we still have a huge part to play in like the health crisis. It's also the other thing to say is that dogs are just eating too much protein. You know, they are even the kind of biggest human meat eaters are still having veg, are still having carbs, they aren't eating meat with every single meal and also are probably meat reducing because they want to be part of the you know climate crisis positive change but with our pet companions they're literally being fed you know two three meals just purely meat and then they're not doing enough exercise so then you're you know feeding them too much meat and then they're not having exercise and they're becoming overweight and this is like really a huge issue yeah you're seeing because of the overweight dogs you're seeing a lot of joint issues as well and it really is about trying to give options to pet parents like you were saying in variety you know we speak to we work with world-leading animal nutritionists. We speak to these these people all the time and they all tell us that variety is a, is great for dogs and we need to have more variety in dogs' diets. And the idea that dogs should only eat one meal all the time, you know, their can of pedigree chum or whatever brand, you know, I think is really outdated. Dogs enjoy variety. And I think our goal is to create great tasting, we call drool-inducing food that dogs love. You know, that is nutritionally complete, that, you know, that means that you've got some of the cans here. Yeah. Do you want to just explain what what you what, yeah, what so, are they are? So this is a uh, say so this has things like blackberries, hemp seeds, uh, pea protein, broccoli. Um, they're the world's first plant based meat for dogs, and that's something we're really proud. Of. We wanted to create that texture and sort of gravy like consistency that um, uh, dogs love. So you know it's really important for us that the products tasted great, but they also looked beautiful as well. We want something that uh, has a what do they call it pesta power that people would pull off the Shelves, you know, the kids will pull off the shelves. What um, power? Pester power. What's pester power? <laughs> oh, well, kids pester their parents oh, to buy something. <laughs> it's probably a bit outdated now, but, you know, it's something like cur- curb appeal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, so I think it's it's really in interesting space. And, you know, with people, you know, sort of criticizing what we're doing, me and Judy love dogs. We are absolutely mad. We love our dog Blossom. We, we absolutely love animals. And the idea that we would put something out there that was going to endanger them or you know, not be good for them is absolutely mad to us. You know, we work with the world's leading manufacturers and this stuff, the leading animal nutritionists, vets. We work with everyone. We we do so much testing to make sure that this is like 
great for dogs. So some people do criticise, you know, and, you know, social media can be a bit of a wild place. And for two really sensitive people, we are really sensitive. We picked an interesting business to go into for sure. But (laughs) it didn't feel like a choice for us. We like, me and Judy are really sad. And we used to, we went on holiday a few years ago. We pitched a whole bunch of ideas to each other because it was the only time we had to like Mm -hmm. think about our other ideas we have for the future. And, um, you know, we had loads of different ideas, but the ones that we came back to, the ones that could have, huge impacts you know and remember the other idea we were really considering was baby formula you know plant-based baby formula and I see now there's like a bunch of companies around the world really pioneering that space and we don't have kids so we love dogs we go with the Mm. dog route and I'm really glad we have because the community that we're building at the pack is amazing the impact we're already seeing is really fantastic so looking forward um, to a a doggy social network soon plant-based doggy social network yeah Yeah. that sounds great (laughs) build it bobby i'm here for that we will come (laughs) i'm still interested to to continue about ingredients or or Mm. like the makeup of traditional dog food i'm still interested and curious like what is actually wrong with obviously we talk about antibiotics but what is it about the dog food that's making dogs ill like what is it, what are they eating that's causing the health problems? Well, like processed leftover waste from the human meat industry. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it comes from restaurants in Europe. So meat that has been, the best bits have been taken and the bits that aren't good for humans will then go and be grinded up into dog food. Mm-hmm. And you can do the maths and work out what kind of bits they are. You know, so it, probably the same effect as human beings, right? Yeah, you know, similar. The high fat, exactly. high salt oils and... Goodness knows what other sort of bacterias and bacterias is a real and, yeah a real issue like with bird flu at the moment and yeah yeah and and also there's you know there was a survey that came out recently the Guardian covered it where they tested you know a bunch of different dog food and they found that it was actually like endangered you know kind of sharks and you know kind of species from the seas that should not be wow. going into bycatch yeah bycatch that shouldn't mm. be going into dog food that is and so pet parents are giving their dog what they think is like maybe an ethical fish brand and it's actually got all these endangered animals in that they shouldn't be giving and it is also like you know and this is like again I said it's like a spectrum so not every single brand is going to be like this but there are a lot of brands that use like derivatives for example so have meat derivatives and even vegetable derivatives which, which could be charcoal and you know just things that aren't going to be good and make a dog thrive and so for us like as well as doing something that's plant-based which is really important it's about doing something that's healthy so using functional ingredients that you know isn't just like fillers that are going to just kind of fill out you know a can or you know some dried food it's actually ingredients that are going to make dogs thrive because it's really important to us as you know business leaders that what we're putting into our cans is going to make a dog healthy so in five ten years time we're going to have these amazing healthy dogs there's no point creating a plant-based product that is just plant-based but actually is going to make the dog not that well and it's like in five years time it isn't going to be the best kind of showcase of like you know the plant-based movement for dogs so it's really important that whatever we're doing is like functional healthy ingredients it's something that we're really excited and passionate about aren't we yeah i I think for us like we're we're obsessed with flavor we're obsessed with nutrition and you know we obviously have our range of wet foods out at the moment but we've got new products coming in the in the next few months and you know really at the forefront of those are nutrition and flavor and not using allergens and and things that don't work well with dogs and you know I think for us that's really how we see ourselves as a premium space in the market and and we want to do the best for dogs and and you know that's our mission and it's also looking at the environmental impact because you know health aside you know we know we can get everything we need for a dog through plants and the way we're formulating this but alongside our you know kind of animal nutritionist um so why would we put animals in there when they're going to be it's a huge part of the climate crisis we know this in the human space so if it's unacceptable for you know humans to be kind of having meat every single day you know and also having say red meat every single day why would we then give that to 
our pet companions. Yeah, the carbon, the combined carbon footprint of pets worldwide is something like 64 million metric tons or something like that. It's crazy. It's a huge, like as I was saying, it's like the size of a small country. Mm -hmm. Do you think enough people are aware of this? Do you think people are a bit oblivious to the fact that their pet food is part of the climate crisis problem? I think people are quite oblivious to it at the moment because the climate crisis is so huge and it's so overwhelming to sort of like break down every single part of it can just feel like too much. So I think people are quite unaware of it, but the way we talk about it, and we, we think about this a lot, you know, like we are all changing our diets. Okay, all of us here, yeah, we're all vegan now, you know, that's a choice we've made, but more broadly through society, everyone is looking at what they're eating. As the world becomes re- more resource scarce, and we're seeing this at the moment with the, the sad war that's happening in Ukraine, how it's creating food scarcity already. It's going to be totally unacceptable for our dogs to eat meat in every meal in the future. In 10 years' time, it's totally going to be unacceptable from just a pure environmental perspective. So this change is inevitable. It's, it will happen. The challenge is for us and for others, others in space is will enough people adopt it in the meantime to drive these brands forward to the point where it goes pop? And the, the, penny, the penny drops, we have a kind of... Um, what was it, 2018 moment like we had with veganism where everything just changed overnight and there was a big shift. That's the challenge for us and for other brands is, you know, can we grow enough of a market and enough of demand to do the innovation that needs to happen as early pioneers in the space and then for the mainstream adoption to happen because it all makes sense from a science perspective. You know, we've got to fight the culture war a bit, as you would say, mm-hmm. Robbie, you know, like we've <laughs> got to go out there and, uh, you know, do things like this and talk about about these things in a public forum and and really drive things forward. Mm, it's only a matter of time. As far as like convincing the wider public, obviously convincing the public of anything can be an uphill battle. What are some of the ways in which you are doing this? Obviously, you're talking to me and we're speaking to, to vegans and flexitarians through things like plant-based news. But obviously, are there other ways in which you could convince people to make these shifts? Because there are 66 million people in this country. I, I don't know how many of them have pets, but the UK is described as a nation of animal lovers. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of dogs. 12 million 12 dogs. 12 million dogs, yeah. right. So there's a lot of potential customers there. How are you planning on sort of reaching them? You got What's your marketing plans without giving away too much secret, too many of your secrets, of course? I mean, we've got, we're doing lots of different things at the moment. Like we're still in such an early phase of the company. We've only been kind of you know selling since September 2021 so we're still you know kind of in that phase where we're gathering data you know kind of analyzing you know who our customer actually is like I said earlier like you know we did all these kind of like analysis before we started but you just don't know until you start selling but we're already noticing we're bringing on this customer already who isn't 100% vegan themselves then you know their dog is definitely not you know plant-based but they're buying our products alongside say their meat products because they want to be that part of the positive change they want to introduce more plants into their dog's bowl and they're seeing it as a way that they can contribute from a health perspective and environmental perspective and we're even getting customers who are these kind of raw meat feeders who really want variety in their dog's diet and we never ever in our wildest dreams thought we could kind of get these customers so early in our journey what's convinced them do you think I think it's the way that we're kind of positioning ourselves. You know, for us, we spent a lot of time on our marketing, our branding, who we wanted to be, you know, when we put ourselves out there to the public. And this is like advice for any startup, you know, really think about that because, you know, you can have a great product, 
but until you know how to market it and mm. kind of make it relatable so the customer understands like very quickly what you are and what your mission is they may not connect with it so i think we spend a long time as well as developing the product is creating you know our brand story and i think we wanted to create it in a really creative and fun way that wasn't kind of a judgmental space it was about you know meeting you know the dog and the pet parent where they were at and also providing support and resources so we kind of coined this term like flexi doggy in and um, <laughs> so the flexitarian of the dog world and we feel that's a really nice way to bring people in because we're saying it's not about you know kind of turning your dog plant-based it's not about you know having this pressure it's about just trying this you know bring it into your dog's life see how your dog likes it if your dog you know rejects the food then you can't force your dog to have that food it's just trying it out and seeing and seeing the benefits of it so i think doing that has really kind of helped bring in this customer that we just would never thought we'd be able to reach outside our kind of bubble it's definitely that open heart approach and you know non-judgmental approach that we use with evolution because you know evolution was a space that's very inclusive and I think that's how we want to be as, as a brand. And, you know, we've done things like uh, we did the scented adverts throughout London on, on bus stops. Take a yeah. picture with me. Yeah, thanks, Rory. <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the shout out. You know, that was really interesting. You know, so many people contacted us off the back of that and people we're going to be uh, listing with a, a on-demand grocery uh, service really soon. And one of the things that convinced them to do that was seeing that we'd done outdoor advertising and, you know, in the areas where they serve. So... You know, I think we'll be trying to mix things up. You see us at some consumer events um, this year as well. So a whole bunch of approaches, you know, from, you know, partnerships like with Plant Based News, you know, with our social media, paid advertising uh, to, you know, outdoor display, everything. You know, we've got to get out there. We really enjoy marketing. We really enjoy the, the meeting the community bit and the community building. So really excited uh, for that as a brand. Definitely excited for the future of the pack. Let's just turn the conversation on a bit to working together. Mm. You've mentioned that you're married. Obviously, a lot of people out there might be a little bit hesitant about working with their partner. How have you made it work? And what are some of your tricks or tips to, to keeping things moving forward in a in a smooth way? Are you asking for yourself, Robin? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm really lucky. You know, Judy's just amazing. And I couldn't wish for like a better wife and a better partner to share my life with and the fact that we get to do this together is just like, you know, it's a dream. It's actually a dream because I just can't imagine going to work without her, you know. So, so I'm really, I'm really happy to get to do it. How do we? How do we do it? I don't know. There are It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, you constantly have to work at it. You know, we, I think it's being really open and honest and communication is just key. And I think that's in any relationship, be it, you know, in a marriage relationship or business partner, like a business partner, you are basically married to that person in a different sort of way. Like you're sharing so many emotions and responsibilities and, you know, kind of just the whole journey. Right. Um, and so I think we're really fortunate because, I like Damien said like I feel really lucky to be working with with Damien he constantly inspires me and I think we've got really complementary skills I think that also helps I think if you may be a couple that have very similar skills it might be a bit tricky um, I think it's quite good that we've got you know complementary skills but we do have different areas that we focus on um, so you know but then we we obviously do everything else together and I think communication for me is just absolutely key and we constantly have to work at it because you know we'll be on a date night for example and it will turn into a business meeting we have to catch <laughs> ourselves to be like come on no let's 
park this and come back to Sounds it tomorrow. Sounds like Klaus and I. Klaus and, and I obviously run PBN for those that might not know, but we also always joke about being like an old married couple. And I always say to him, you know, we've got to make this work because for the sake of the baby, the baby is what makes news. <laughs> and if you have a vision and a, and a dream together, you do have to make it work because, you know, the a breakdown of a relationship will and could mean the breakdown uh, of your business. And you have to treat it in that way. I think a lot of people tend to give up too easily and throw the towel in too easily. We live in this kind of throwaway world with instant relationships on Tinder and instant products on Amazon and instant music on, on Spotify or Apple or whatever. You know, and, 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 you know, I think that maybe it's a millennial thing. <laughs> we actually met on Tinder. Yeah. So, so I'm outing ourselves. Not, not to diss the millennials. We're, I think, believe we're zennials here, aren't we? Or you, you might be a millennial. I we're think we're millennials. Yeah, I think we're millennials. We're, we're, are you millennials? We're on yeah. the third, probably. We're, we're the borderline, yeah. We are yeah, on the cusp. Yeah, we're, we're in there, just. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that that's the thing, like perseverance and sort of keeping things going. For me, that's the lifeblood of entrepreneurship, right? Yeah which is courage to keep going no matter what. Because there's that meme that you see on social media and there's a guy digging above and a guy digging below and the guy above is digging and there's like diamonds that are inches away and there's a guy underneath is also digging and there's the diamonds are inches away but he's given up and he's walking the other way. And it's this metaphor that you never know how far away you are from your big break mm -hmm. as long as you just keep going, mm -hmm. you know. And if you if you believe in your vision, just keep keep going and uh, and moving forward. Definitely. And I think, you know, with that kind of um, scenario that you said, like it's about being on the same page as well. I think, you know, you really have to keep on kind of going back to what is important to you both as like in your relationship and as founders. I think if you're both on different pages mm -hmm. and you both want different things out of either the business or the relationship, that's when you're going to clash. It's really important that you're what you're doing, you're both happy and you're in it together because like you know creating any kind of business and especially a mission-driven business it's really hard and it's really emotional and there's so much that goes into it and you have to be a strong you have to be a strong united front and if one person's heart is just not in it or doesn't believe in it or whatever the reason or doesn't feel like they're being heard for example like it's just so important that you're in it together and have the space for each other to kind of really listen and to create the path together rather than having one person lead i think that's important yeah i have a top tip for everyone do not check your phone at night do not check your emails after seven <laughs> We always do. Yeah, I was but, about to say, know, I always do. Like that, it's aspirational, but you know, yeah. like I feel like mm. uh, if you're in a relationship, especially with your business partner, like, you know, venture capitalists, people have funny ways of sending emails at like mm. odd times, you know, at your weekends mm. or nine o'clock at night. Respecting alone time is important. Isn't yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because you know, I think it's really important to try and have that separation. Mm. Like we don't, we're not perfect. We don't do that. We do, we do try a bit. You know, we're probably not in the best the best space of that at the moment but i think it's really important if you can to create a separation but i just want to end on that it's an amazing experience if you do want to do it and you do get it right because it feels like we're doing kind of negative things but it's actually no, it's, like, it's so positive and it's so amazing and i think if you've got a partner that you really want to you know kind of share that journey with do it like mm. you know just make sure you're open and honest and communicate yeah. and plan at least I think. try it yeah try it because it sure. really is i think if it works it can work amazingly and mm. i think if it doesn't work realize it early before it affects your relationship mm, and absolutely. yeah yeah good advice no, there before I let you both go I always like to ask my guests this one final question and those who listen to the podcast regularly will know what is coming if you were on a desert island and it was just you and a pig <laughs> you're stuck there obviously you're not going to eat the pig because you're no. vegan I was like no I hope this isn't a question <laughs> if, you, if I could give you one book one um, album and one vegan dish what would you take with you and I'll let you start first Damien I'd probably take Nevermind by Nirvana because I'm old and I love grunge <laughs> It's a dangerous feeling
So yeah, I'd take. I'd probably take Nevermind. What book would I take? Mm, have to be a big one, wouldn't it? Something that's yeah. gonna last yeah. you for all your days. Yeah, it'd have to be a big one. I'd probably take an Atlas. So I could dream. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably, probably spend quite a lot of time with that. Vegan dish. Oh, I'm gonna be really bored, so I'm just gonna have Beyond Burger every meal, and then um, see where it takes me. You could mince it, make meatballs. You could do all sorts. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's endless variety. So uh, I think, I think that'd be it. Yeah. Amazing. And you, Julie. I should have actually had, I've had time to think about this, but I'm still like, oh God, what would I bring? All, all the things. Album, I don't have one album I love, but can I bring an artist? Because sure. Coco Rosie, just love them. Damien, I absolutely hate them. I it's won't the, be on this desert island. It's the, one, it's the one artist You'll be you absolutely hate. <laughs> I'm, I love loads of bits, but I'd probably bring like a crossword puzzle or something because that would definitely keep me entertained for quite a long time. On the iPads. Yeah, yeah on the iPads. With your solar power. <laughs> bring a Kindle. And Dish, oh gosh. I think I, Noki, I love Noki. God, we're healthy, aren't we? With Amazing. Noki and burgers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping I can find plants to make salad on the island. I'm sure so you will. Yeah, we're fine. I'll find wild yeah, forage. You. You'll yeah, be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Damien and Judy Clarkson, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. What a pleasure, my friends, to sit down and hear a bit of your story. Oh, thank I'll you let... so much for having us. We just love you and Klaus and what you're doing with Plant Based News. And it's just such a pleasure to chat and to see you after two I long know. years. That's crazy. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. It's been amazing and great questions. And yeah, I'm just um, so proud of what you guys have done thank you. over the years and so happy that, you know, we get to kind of change the world together. So I'm really, I really loved it. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and this is the PBN Podcast. We'll be back next week with more food, veganism, fashion, animals, and everything in between. <laughs>